Hello, and welcome to the Peregrine Podcast from the Hoover Institution, offering insight and analysis on the issues facing America on the topic of immigration. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and joining us today is Madeline Zavodny, professor of economics at Agnes Scott College and a research fellow at the Institute for the Study of Labor in Bonn. Madeline, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So in your piece for the new issue of Peregrine, you talk largely about this this influx of children from Central America that we saw trying to get into this country earlier this year. So um, let's start with a basic question. It, it's one to which the answer wasn't entirely clear at the time and to some extent it probably still isn't now. Uh, how did this happen? I mean what causes seemingly out of the blue a, a deluge of tens of thousands of children from half a continent away to suddenly show up at America's doorstep? That's a great question. The interesting thing is it wasn't totally unexpected that this had been slowly building over the past couple of years and the media hadn't really, you know, been um, playing it a lot or it hadn't you know, captured the media's interest until the numbers reached really a critical mass this last summer. But the roots of it go back even further and are really rooted in policies that have been in place in the U.S. for at least a decade. The main root of it actually is sort of the U.S.'s unwillingness to crack down on unauthorized immigration. So th there was a dynamic when the story broke that I suspect a lot of Americans tuned out because it's pretty emblematic of where national politics is right now. You had people on the right blaming Barack Obama for this influx because of the idea that he had telegraphed a certain permissiveness when it came to the treatment of illegal immigrants, especially who were minors. You also had people on the left blaming George W. Bush for a law that he signed late in his administration. And based on what you said a moment ago, I, th I think we can safely deduce that it, it goes back even further than that. But when it comes to, to culpability, uh, where, where should we be assigning blame here? Oh, I think we can blame everybody, including ourselves. I think the first people to blame, and it's somewhat most importantly, are the smugglers, the traffickers who are helping these children cross the border. That they're really manipulating families down in Central America by telling them, oh, if you trust your children and tens of thousands of dollars potentially uh, to me, I will help your child get into the United States and your child will become a U.S. citizen and be able to work there and send money home. And that's very appealing to families who don't know better and who you know are facing really, really difficult situations at home. So that's kind of the number one group I would blame. And then, of course, there are fam the families in Central America who have no good choices, who then are susceptible to this, but also to blame our politicians, uh, employers, and really everyone in the United States who has tolerated and really turned a blind eye to unauthorized immigration for decades now. So up until right about the moment that this story started generating headlines, there was a belief in some circles that some kind of immigration reform could get done this year. Uh, whether or not that would have proved to have been true, that was certainly a conviction that was held in, in parts of both political parties. After this broke, the conventional wisdom became that immigration had just become too heated of a topic to go back to anytime soon. Now, it, it's obvious why that happened because this just sucked up so much media oxygen. But the question is on the merits, should it have? And what I mean by that is did this surge in children from Central America – really say anything about the broader issues at work when it comes to immigration reform? 
I think that the surge points to the huge failures of immigration policy, particularly with regard to low-skill immigration, but certainly doesn't address the you know overall overarching problems with our immigration policy. So our immigration policy in the United States very much prioritizes family migration so that if you have a relative already here, particularly a U.S. citizen, you can enter if you're an immediate relative of that U.S. citizen. And then permanent residents, green card holders, can bring over some relatives as well. So that these children didn't have somebody eligible to bring them in, but in most cases they did have some relative, a parent here illegally or an aunt or uncle here legally or illegally, so that they had some connection and a greater motivation for coming and also somebody here who would help them you know, find a home, get to work, um, and that contributed to this belief that they would become part of the United States, I think. Uh, so the fact that there wasn't really a pathway for these children, and in many cases their parents, to enter legally is part of the problem of immigration policy. That The U.S., by prioritizing family immigration, has put far less priority on work-based immigration, and particularly work-based immigration by low-skilled workers, which most Central Americans are. That it's very difficult for those people to enter legally to work. Madeline, there's a, there's a big constituency out there who wants these kids sent home as soon as possible. There is a – I think it's fair to say smaller but still vocal one that says how can we possibly, as a humanitarian matter – Send these children back to countries that are enduring the kind of hardships that are going on in that part of the world. How do you respond to those people? It, there's no right answer here. And it's really true, I think, of all unauthorized immigrants in the U.S., you know, except for those who are clearly committing violent crimes, that there's no great answer to what to do, that to deport people who are here working hard and are going back to, in many cases, desperate situations, particularly when it's children, to do that seems heartless. Uh, it really does. But the bigger picture is that you have to realize that if you allow people to come illegally and stay, and in particular to give them a legal way to stay and a, then a path to ultimately perhaps to U.S. citizenship, you're just pushing the problem further into the future and compounding it because then why wouldn't even more people come? So as heartless as it seems in the short run to say you must go home, you're only going to get more and more children from more and more desperate circumstances coming if we don't put a stop to it now. So once this specific issue with the children from Central America has faded into the background, um, Let's extrapolate this out a little bit. Let's say a little over two years from now, assuming that immigration reform maybe doesn't get done in the run-up to an open presidential cycle. It seems like this is an issue where the argument is, is just as much over the sequence of the policy as the substance of the policy, by, by which I mean the eternal arguments here are do you do border control first? Do you do workplace enforcement first? Do you do some sort of path to citizenship for people who are already here first. So help us think through this. What needs to get accomplished, but just as importantly, in what order? 
there is a huge amount that the U.S. needs to accomplish. My view on it is that it should all be done at once because there are so many interlocking parts. And I think the Republicans over the last year have said, oh, let's go and do it piecemeal. And my concern is that if we do it piecemeal and we first do the most appealing groups, um, or at least the groups that Republicans, the pieces of legislation that Republicans are willing to support, then we don't do the harder parts that need to overlap and, and that are, again, intertwined with the easier parts. So what are those easier parts? Uh, probably increased border enforcement, uh, that that appeals a lot to Republicans, but also increases in high-skilled work-based immigration, say increasing the cap on H-1B visas, that there's a broad constituency that would support that, although, of course, there are opponents for those policies as well. But we have to recognize why are people entering illegally? Why do we need more border enforcement? Well, it's because we make it so very difficult for people to enter legally by having very strict limits on work-based immigration, again, particularly for low-skilled workers. And so just beefing up border enforcement, while it may seem appealing on its own, doesn't really address the underlying roots of the problem. It's like water flowing downhill people will still try to find a way to enter. And it may be just a more desperate way. Uh, We'll have more people dying, more people being smuggled in, and so on. So I think we need to address it all at once. So let me pose a question to you that's maybe a little bit more political in nature. There is a theory in American politics that in some areas, the only way to achieve a major policy breakthrough is for the person at the forefront of the issue to sort of play against type. What I mean by that is you'll sometimes hear the expression that uh, only Nixon could go to China. Only Bill Clinton could have reformed welfare. And, and you hear it today. It will take a Democrat to reform entitlements for instance. Given the fact that it seems immigration reform is more divisive within the Republican Party than it is for Democrats, do you think it will ultimately take someone from the GOP to get this across the finish line? It's somewhat hard to imagine who from the GOP is willing to do that and has the ability to bring together the votes to, you know, to get a broad enough coalition mm. that I, I would – I want to see it happen regardless of whether it's a Democrat or Republican. Um, I really want to see the U.S. have comprehensive immigration reform. I think it would help our economy. It would help prevent these problems from recurring over and over and over. But you know, McCain was sort of our best hope at that, or the, you know, the Republican Party's best hope at that, as somebody who in 2006 and 2007 worked very, very hard on comprehensive immigration reform. And you know, it came back and bit him a little bit in the election. That's not the only reason why McCain didn't become president, but certainly it didn't help him with his base at all. Um, and he was you know, the one who really talked about it. Now, Jeb Bush has talked some about immigration reform as well. And then there was you know, immediate backlash uh, when he talked about legalizing unauthorized immigrants and spoke, I think, from his heart about that. So it's somewhat hard to see how it's going to happen. So f- final question then, a related question to that. Uh, you just mentioned uh, Senator McCain. This was something that George W. Bush pushed during his second term. We're coming up now almost close to a, a decade from from that effort. If I gave you – let's say the next five years, so we've got you through, through 2019, uh, where would you place the odds that meaningful immigration reform gets done in that time frame? 
Oh, I think they're very low. I hate to say that because again, <laughs> I really want to see it happen, but it's just, it's that it looked like, you know, we had a very, very good bill that passed the Senate in 2013. It wasn't perfect at all, but I think that the, uh, it has a horrible acronym, the BSE or whatever, uh, that that border security and immigration enforcement, blah, blah, blah bill, uh, the Rubio bill had so many good parts in it and it has just languished. And if something like that, that really was comprehensive, it had lots of good policies that were going to help the American economy in the long run can't happen, then it's hard to imagine as our political system seems to become more and more dysfunctional that reform will happen. So sadly, I'm pessimistic. I promise you that would be the last question, but you piqued my curiosity there. So let me give you one more. What in your judgment uh, – I realize this could be several different things. What would it take? What would be the cat- catalytic event that, that breaks this equilibrium we're at now where you're kind of stuck with the logjam? What factors do you think might make a difference to actually getting it across the finish line? You know, a huge economic boom would really help. That one thing the recession did was it reduced the number of unauthorized immigrants coming from Mexico. And there was kind of a thought among immigration policymakers that, hey, this is a good time to do immigration reform because people aren't coming. And so the American public's not so worried. Okay, then we had the surge. And so that kind of got washed out. But a huge economic boom, like the late 1990s, where unemployment's, you know, 4% again, and jobs are just begging for workers and the labor force participation rate has gone back up uh, and wages are rising and people are feeling good about America and American economic prospects, I think that's our best chance to get comprehensive reform. And of course, it'd be wonderful just to see an economic boom for so many reasons, not just immigration reform. All right. Our guest has been Madeline Zavodny, professor of economics at Agnes Scott College and a research fellow at the Institute for the Study of Labor in Bonn. Madeline, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Troy. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.